Well, not everybody went to the fair, did they? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. All right, listen very closely to what I say. God is awesome. Wait, no, no, wait a minute. God is awesome. All the time. All right, we got it. Good. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit for several weeks. Not the last few weeks, but uh, over, if you look back to like February, you've seen this uh, topic come up many, many times. The last time we were on this was about three weeks ago. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit, found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And the main point we made about the fruit of the Spirit was that uh, it's not just the Spirit that's involved here. It's not something we can just set back and wait for it to happen. We, under, we make the point that it's a cooperative effort. It's, it's not all us and it's not all the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's the Spirit and us working together to produce the fruits that are known as the fruit of the Spirit. Today, I want to back up just a few verses before, verses 22 and 23 in Galatians 5. I want to uh, look for a few minutes at what's called the works of the flesh or the deeds of the flesh. I'm going to say works of the flesh, deeds of the flesh. Uh, regardless of what's up on the screen, you just know what I'm talking about, okay? And forgive me if I get myself uh, turned around here. What we're going to find out is that avoiding the works of the flesh is also a cooperative effort. It's not all up to us. It's not all the Holy Spirit. But it's us and the Spirit working together. And I want to get right into this. I don't want to, you know, uh, spin my wheels here. I want to go right to it. Let's look at Galatians 5, 19 through 21. This is where it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I just want to make uh, four observations about the works of the flesh before we actually get to uh, the main thing I want to say here this morning. The first one is that this is not a complete list of the works of the flesh. And one indication of that is found right there in verse 20, uh, 21, I guess it is, right after it says envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. What he's saying, hey, I'm not listing everything, but you get the idea. It's all that stuff that's kind of like everything that I've already uh, given to you here. It's like this stuff. And so there's a, he might be able to go on for, I mean, if he wanted to use a lot of words, he could have gone on for another paragraph or two describing all the things that could, be dis, could fall under that title uh, the deeds of the flesh. It's also uh, interesting to note that uh, in, there are several of these lists like this scattered all around in the New Testament. And for instance, I, I mean, we could go back to 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10, and 11. Here's another list. It's got a bunch of these things in it. It's not exactly like the one that we just read from Galatians 5, but the same stuff is there. It's things like these. And so here we go. This is Paul's, another list that Paul gives us. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, 
you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And you'll notice there was a lot of overlap between Galatians 5 and this, this list right here. But there are some things that are new, some things that were different. And so it, it, it's, uh, I, the main thing I'm saying here is this list is not a, a complete list, the one we're looking at in Galatians 5. And then we could turn back to um, something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15. He's been approached by a bunch of Pharisees who are concerned that to his disciples, Jesus' disciples, who do not wash their hands before they eat. And uh, this, according to the Pharisees, not only was unsanitary, but it made them ceremonially unclean. They might have touched things that were, uh, things that were, uh, that would defile them so far as worship was concerned. And so uh, Jesus has some things to say to, to these people. He says, it's not what enters into your mouth. It's not what happens to be on your hand and gets on your food and goes in your mouth that defiles the man. But what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. And then in private with his disciples, just a few verses later, he carries on with this thought. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So Jesus has his own list here in, in Matthew chapter 15, and a lot of the things that are in that list show up in Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6. And we could look at Revelation 21. John, the apostle, has his own list in Revelation 21. And James has his list in James 3, 14, 15, and 16, right in there. Uh, a lot of overlap, but there are some things that are different. And the main thing I'm, I'm just wanting to say here is that when we look at the works of the flesh found in Galatians 5, just understand we're not looking at a complete list. It's a whole bunch of other things that we could throw in the pile there, and they would fit in very well. Here's the second thing I want you to notice about that list from Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And that is the works of the flesh, for the most part, are rooted in something that's good that God made in some cases and then got twisted or distorted. And just let me give you an example here. Look at the first three of the list where he says immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Those are all about the sexual nature of a person and what they, what they are doing with this. Well, immor immorality, sensuality, impurity are a twisting or a distortion of our sexual nature. God made us male and female. It was good. He created physical attraction. He had a purpose in mind. It was all good. God doesn't do anything. It's bad. But immorality, sensuality, impurity is a twisting or a distortion of this good thing that God made. Same thing is true. You go to the next two on the list there, idolatry and sorcery. They, they kind of lump together here. Well, idolatry and sorcery is a twisting or a distortion of our spiritual nature. God created us for worship, specifically for worship of him. But idolatry and sorcery is like a twisting of that good thing that God created, a twisting of our nature to where our worship becomes misdirected. It gets twisted off in a, in a direction that God never intended. So it becomes the work of the flesh, a deed of the flesh. And then comes a long list that follows here uh, after, right after sorcery. And they all kind of fall together. They all kind of lump around the idea of conflict. So we've got enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. That's all kind of, you know, like 
bang, 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 bang. That kind of a personality, that kind of way of dealing with people. Well, that's a twisting of our, I'll call it our volitional nature. God made us able to think and to choose independently. He made us able to stand alone if need be. He made us able to fight for what was right. That's all stuff. That's all original equipment. God made us this way. Those, all those things are good. But all this God-given ability can get twisted into us becoming people who are just constantly in conflict. You know, we're able to think and choose and all that, and we just choose to be contrary sometimes. And, and, and we make it into a, a battlefield. Every, everywhere we go, it, it's a battlefield. And so he calls that a work of the flesh. The works of the flesh are based on things that are good, but get that twist. Here's the third thing I want you to see about the works of the flesh. And that is that term itself, the deeds of the flesh, might be misleading. Because when you read that term, deeds of the flesh, the first thing you think about is your body. And so you automatically think about things that, uh, that your body might cause you to do that would be wrong or bad or evil even. But if, if you hear, and when you hear or read that phrase, you think of something to do with our bodies. And that would, the same would be true with another term that's going to come up here in just a moment. And that is desires of the flesh. Again, it sounds like we're talking about our, our human body. So think about this for a while. You know, what, what does the body want? Well, the body, want, the body gets hungry, so it wants to be fed. The body gets thirsty, and it wants to have something to drink. The body gets tired, and it wants to sleep. It wants to rest. The body gets cold. It wants to be warm. It wants to be comforted. The body might feel sexual tension and wants some kind of release for that. All these, thing, all these things we feel because our body needs or wants or desires them. But the truth about the works of the flesh is, is that it actually has little to do with our physical desires and needs. It's a much bigger concept. It's a much bigger thing than that. And so, I mean, you can see that as you go through the, the list there that we're looking at here. Uh, when you get to things like enmity and strife and jealousy, you know, there's nothing about our bodies that, that, that craves that, I don't think. But there are people who are very much into, into that kind of a thing. Okay? And that's a work of the flesh. It's not that our body craves it or wants it or desires it. It's just who we are. And, and it, maybe go a little further with this. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 has these words. And this is where Paul says that these are words that just come just before the works of the flesh. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And so I, I think the key here is that uh, is found in verse 17 where you find out that the desires of the flesh are opposed. It's the opposite of what the spirit wants in our lives. Uh, it, it, it's not about your body so much as it is we could talk about values. We could talk about character and all, all those sorts of things. Those things are part of the flesh. But he says the flesh is opposed to the spirit. The spirit is God and everything that God is, his character, his purposes, his will, his ways, all of that. That's, that's what spirit is. And flesh is the domain of Satan. It's where he rules. It's where his influence is felt. It's where his ways are attractive and make sense. It's the values that he puts forth. It, it, it's the things that he wants us to do. And so it's not just about the body. It's about a whole system that is opposed 
to God's domain. God's domain, the spirit, is the domain of God. It's where he rules. It's where his influence is felt. It's where his ways seem attractive and they make sense. Well, the works of the flesh are anything and everything that Satan would sanction. It could have to do with our bodies, but it's probably better to say it, it, it's the attitudes, the values, the character, the purposes. It's in that area, the purposes of Satan in our lives. That would be the flesh. So let's go back to Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Let's talk about number four. I want you to notice this. That nothing in this list, there is nothing in this list that we cannot do successfully in the short term. There's nothing about this list. I mean, we can, we can manage to be moral for five minutes, can't we? And we can ma- manage to be pure for five minutes or not sensual in the wrong sort of way for five minutes. We can put idolatry aside and sorcery aside and we can not hate somebody for five minutes. And we can manage not to be fighting with people. And manage not to be all involved in outbursts of anger. And we, we just go right on down the list there. For five minutes, any of this stuff is doable. But the problem comes for us is when we start talking about long term. Because there, we run into problems. We, we need help from God if we're going to do any of these things long term. And the good news is this. That there is divine help. We have divine help. Divine help is available to those who have the Spirit. I want to go to a parallel passage now. Galatians and Romans have a lot of places that they overlap in their thought, both by Paul, and Paul uses some of the same terminology. If you go to Romans chapter 8, we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. And here, Paul is back to the idea of flesh and spirit again. And so Paul says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body or the deeds of the flesh. He's using the word body here as the same way he uses the word flesh. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so Paul tells us something here, and and I want you to catch this because this is what this lesson is about. Paul says it is possible to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Not just a matter of me, myself, and I that's involved in this project. But it's by the Spirit that these deeds of the flesh are put to death. I think there are a lot of Christians who have a problem with this. I think a lot of us, and I include myself here, because I spent a po- at least a part of my life trying to put to death the deeds of the flesh by my flesh, by my will, by my ingenuity, by my self-discipline. And uh, I didn't do so well. God had another way. God has another way for us dealing with the deeds of the flesh, putting them to death. And right there it is. It's in verse 13. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. A lot of Christians, I say, have a problem with this because we spend a lot of our lives trying to put to death the deeds of the body by our own will, our own decision, our own, our own resources. 
There's a divine resource available to us. And I take it by faith that when I use God's resources as opposed to my own, I'm going to do a whole lot better with the whole, whole thing. And I take that by faith. And I think that we all have to because we're not able to rewind our lives and find out what it would have been like if we had done it this way as opposed to another way. But we take it by faith that when God says something like this to us, the best way we're going to be able to deal with this, the way we're going to have the most success is going to be doing it God's way. Live, uh, uh, listening to him, obeying him, believing him, depending on him. That's where we're going to have the most success. So here's the question. What does that look like? To put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit. How does the spirit help us put to death the deeds of the body? I'm going to say some things that are pretty obvious here at the very beginning. And I'm, I'm, going to, I'm just going to talk about some things that the Spirit explains to us or makes clear to us or uh, teaches us. Because certainly that's part of, part of the equation. When it says we're going to put to death uh, by the Spirit the deeds of the body, there are some things the Spirit has to tell us that we need to know. First of all, the Spirit clearly def- identifies the works of the flesh. Right there, I mean, we looked at, at one list in Galatians 5. 19, 20, and 21. That, that's a long list. But there are deeds of the flesh. And then there's other lists too. It's 1 Corinthians 6. And, and then James chapter 3, verses 14, 14 and 15. And Revelation 21 and 8. And Jesus' statements in, in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, I mean, the Spirit is responsible for all of our New Testament. And the Spirit has clearly defined what the deeds of the flesh are. So that's, that's a big one right there. You, you can't put to death the deeds of the flesh if you don't know what they are. And the Spirit helps us by clearly identifying what the deeds of the flesh would be. Our job is to learn that, to know that, what the Spirit teaches us through the Word. We have no excuse for being ignorant. Here's the second thing the Spirit does that helps us put to death the deeds of the flesh. The Spirit teaches us that if we should fall into those things, if we begin to participate in the deeds of the flesh, he says, here's what you need to do. He says, you need to confess it. You need to confess it to God. And so here's the verse. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sin, the Spirit tells us this. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from all the deeds of the flesh, the ones that we might participate in, the ones where we are characteristically weak. You know, the, the, this is no surprise to, uh, to any of you, but Christians are not going to live in sinless perfection. And God already knows that. In fact, we know that. We understand that. We're not going to live in sinless perfection. We may be Christians and we may be trying to put to death the deeds of the flesh and striving for the fruits of the Spirit. We may be all about that and trying hard, striving hard. But, you know, we fall short. We just keep falling short. We get tripped up. And God already knows that about us. And here's what he says to us. He says, confess it to me. Talk to me about it. Acknowledge that it is wrong, that it's sin. Determine in your heart to do better. Ask me to strengthen you in this area of weakness. And the promise of 1 John 1, 9 is that God will give us cleansing and forgiveness. There it is. I mean, just read the verse. He says, he is faithful and just, what? To forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So cleansing and forgiveness is the thing that God gives when we confess. And so the Spirit teaches us a little bit about the deeds of the flesh here, about what to do with them when we participate in them. Here's the third thing the Spirit teaches us. And that is 
there's a confession not only to God, but there's a confession that we can make to one another and a prayer that we can say for one another. And the Spirit teaches us that that kind of confession and that kind of prayer will give us healing. This is James 5.16. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Forgiveness comes when we confess our sin to God. Healing comes when we confess our sin to one another and we pray for one another. The works of the flesh will tear you up. The works of the flesh will leave big gaping wounds in you. It may not be something you feel at the beginning, but eventually the works of the flesh will destroy you. Ultimately, it will lead to your death. But there's a, there's a cumulative effect that comes with being involved in the works of the flesh. It will tear you up. Healing comes when we confess our sin to one another and begin to pray for one another. So the works of the flesh tear us up. We're wounded by these things. But in confession to one another and prayer for one another, there's healing. There's something else that happens in confession for, to one another and prayer for one another. And I, I don't know this so much by this scripture that we're looking at right here, but I know, this, I know this by experience. And maybe some of you know this by experience. That the works of the flesh are powerful. They're attractive. And some of them are addictive. They pull you right in. And you find it very hard to get away. When we confess those things to another human being, the power of the deeds of the flesh is broken. Have you, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that or not. But in our James groups, that, you know, on Wednesday night and Sunday night, we have uh, James groups. And uh, we've kind of learned that. That when something, I mean, you, you may be so ashamed of it and feel so bad about it, but when you finally say it to another human being, the power of it is broken. Things begin to change. And I've, I've learned that by experience. And as I say, I don't know this so much from James 5.16. I I've, I've know it by, because of what has happened. Here's the fourth thing I wanted to, want to say about the spirit uh, that by the Spirit we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. And the first, the first of these is basically teaching. That, you know, the, the Spirit is telling us how to handle this, what to do with it, what they are. But here's the one where I think the divine help comes in. The Spirit provides to Christians the possibility of power-assisted living. Now, I want to make sure you catch this. The Spirit provides to Christians the possibility of power-assisted living. And I want you to catch the word possibility. Possibility. Because there's some things, there's some catches here that you need to know about. So let's, let's talk about Romans 8.13 now. I want you to go back. We looked at this first a little while ago. Paul says, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There is an implied promise here. Paul is more or less saying to the Christians at Rome and saying to us today that by the Spirit it is possible that we can put to death the deeds of the body. That long list of things. We, we, can, we don't have to walk that path. We can walk another path. We can walk the path that's laid out by the fruit of the Spirit. But Paul is describing a real thing. He's describing something that is entirely possible. He's not talking about uh, theoretical stuff. He's talking about something that actually could happen. 
But this promise is like every other promise that God has made to us. And that is if we're going to have it and we're going to realize it, we're going to have to have some faith. We're going to have to believe it. It's not enough just to know, know about the promise. Not, not enough just to know about the words, be familiar with the words. Not enough to just know where you turn in the Bible to find the words. It's not enough to give intellectual assent. Say, yeah, that's what I believe. I'm talking about faith. Faith is, is something more. Faith is not just mental assent, not just knowledge. Faith is when you trust God to keep his promise, and you depend on him to keep his promise, and you live as if, as if that promise is real. And if he doesn't keep it, you fall flat on your face. That's faith. And almost all of God's promises are, based, are, are kept on the basis of faith, of belief. And so here's a big one for all of us to learn, a big one for all of us to begin to believe that if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Every word of that statement means something. Every word is there for a reason. Every word is important. If by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a promise here. He's describing something that could happen. God's promises are for people who believe them and depend on them, on him to keep them. And I just want to lay down beside of this statement right here, something that Jesus taught over and over and over again, but one place in particular. He's got two blind men following him around. He finally, uh, these blind men, he tells them to come on into the house where he's staying. These two blind guys come into, it, into the house and uh, they said, we're blind. Can you heal us? He said, well, do you think I can? <laughs> and then he tells, them, he tells them the secret. According to your faith, be it done unto you. Whatever you believe is going to happen, that's what's going to happen. Whatever you think is going to happen, whatever you think I can do, that's what I will do. According to your faith, be it done unto you. So when we, when we look at that promise in Romans 8, 13, for if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. There's a promise there. There's a promise that's apprehended that, that we take a hold of only in faith. Faith is important to every promise that God has made to us. So now we've talked about the possibility of this. Uh, it is possible. I want to talk about power-assisted living now, because by the Spirit is power-assist, is a power-assist. That's what he's talking about. Three weeks ago, I brought this up uh, as we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And I, I, you know, I used the illustration of power steering and power brakes, and what a big difference there is between driving a, a vehicle, a car, or whatever that's got power steering or power brakes. And if all you got is mechanical steering, uh, there are some vehicles you can get into. It's very hard to turn. But if you've got power steering, man, it doesn't take very much at all. I mean, a couple fingers, you can make your car go whichever way you want to. I, I watched some of the, you know, there's going to be, there's big trucks over here on the other side of the road. And I was thinking about, what if you had to turn the steering wheel on one of those big, one of the, what do they call those things, utes? What if you had to turn the steering wheel on one of those big utes by mechanical means only? First of all, you'd have a, you'd have a steering wheel about four foot across, and it'd take you a half hour to make a corner. Yeah, here, here we go, here we go. No, those things are hooked up power steering. 
There's a, a pump that's pumping fluid and everything there. So there's a guy sitting in that cab, and he's got one hand and a little tiny steering wheel. And he can make that thing go anywhere he wants to. Those tires on that thing weigh tons. And he's hauling. And we're talking about 50-ton uh, uh, vehicles. And he's staring with one hand. Same thing goes with power brakes. Man, I'll tell you, if you've ever been in a car, a lot of, most of you have never been in a car without power brakes or in a truck or anything like that without power brakes. So you don't know what I'm talking about. But there's a big difference between stopping a car with just mechanical brakes and stopping a car with power brakes because there's a power assist. And what I'm saying here, we still have to make the decisions. We still have to turn the steering wheel. We still have to press the brake pedal when we want to stop. But the fruit of the Spirit can be ours because of power-assisted living. And the same is true with the deeds of the flesh. We can put to death the deeds of the flesh because of power-assisted living. The Holy Spirit is not going to remove all temptation. It's not going to restrain us from, from you know, going off in a different direction if we want to. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. But when we determine that the works of the flesh will have no part in our lives, when we learn to depend on the Spirit's help to put to death the deeds of the flesh, uh, when we learn to trust the promise of God, then the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us to help us and strengthen us, to help us put to death the deeds of the flesh. And there's a lot of things that we can do with the works of the flesh. We can yield to them. We can be dominated by them. We can hide them, deny them. We can flaunt them. We could legislate them. We can even make constitutional rights out of them. We could finance them, support them, promote them, and extol them. We can do all that with the deeds of the flesh. But you know what the Bible says to do with them? Put them to death by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our divine power assist to get all that done. Maybe there's someone here this morning that's not a Christian. And uh, you understand what I've been saying here. Uh, I, I haven't given you the gospel, but the gospel is simply this, that we are not perfect, not by any means. We all have sin. We need forgiveness of sin. And the way you get started in that thing of forgiveness with God is to, first of all, confess his son that he is the son of God, to repent of those sins, to say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to walk the path of the, of the deeds of the flesh. I'm going to walk the path of the fruit of the Spirit. I want to be like Christ and then to be baptized in the name of Christ and to be born again. There's someone here this morning that needs to obey the gospel and become a Christian. This is your opportunity. We're going to sing a song, and uh, we simply ask you to walk forward and let us know. We'll take it from there, but you can be a Christian before we leave this building today, and that's what we would pray for you. Let's stand and sing.